In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success? Who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled, the real stories behind success, episode number 12. My name is Tony Grubmeyer. I'm excited for today's guest. He's been speaking internationally for over 30 years. He's the man with a finger on the pulse of the evolving world of next-gen leadership. One of my really, really good friends. And I think when you listen to this episode right off the bat, you're going to hear the chemistry. That's why I love him. We're going to be talking about The Matrix. We're going to be talking about Fiercely Loyal, his best-selling book. We're going to talk about how he speaks all around the world. We're going to talk about how he's been on the top of his game in literally almost lost it all because he fell. Oh man, you're just in for a good story. And what we're also going to be talking about is the truth and some stuff that maybe is going to take you a little deeper in your personal quest, your journey for what maybe your definition of success looks like. So sit back and relax. He's been cited in so many darn publications. I could spend the next hour just mentioning them, but let's get into the show. I think you're in for just a phenomenal episode. Please welcome to the show, my friend, Dub Barron. Thanks, mate. I'm really, I'm always honored to spend time with you. I feel like it's always a blessing and uh, I'm really appreciative of you inviting me to be on the show. I'm looking forward to sharing and of course being of service. All right. So here's the question. What is Dov's version of success and what does success mean to you? Dov's version of success, of course, it has to have a money factor because I live in the real world, but the truth of what it is for me is that moment of success for me, is when I see in the eyes of the other person that they saw in themselves something they'd never seen before. They've seen or experienced or somehow felt their own, what I call deep greatness. And when I, when I see that happen in somebody, that for me is a moment of like, not only success, but joy, bliss, and fulfillment. Did you have a mentor or coach, somebody that dedicated time to you early on to help you to see for yourself some things that you didn't know were possible? Oh, geez, mate. I've had loads of them. <laughs> I've had lots of mentors. So, you know, as a little boy, I think you, you and I talked about that as a little boy, I was a weird kid and my mom shipped me off to rabbis because she thought I was possessed because I would have these experiences that were otherworldly. And so the, the rabbis were kind of my guides initially. But, you know, I traveled the world, as you know, to study with different teachers who were great mentors to me from many different faiths. Vedanta, Pathasari, who was the dean of the Vedanta University, Gnostic Christian, Catholic Bishop, rabbis, Buddhist monks, Taoists, you know, so all of those. But along the way, there have been people who are not in those realms, people like yourself, who I love, who I appreciate, who I respect, who remind me of my, the greatness that I go looking for in others. They remind me of me, in me. And that's always a blessing. You talk a little bit about as we get ready to climb up Success Mountain, if you're just tuning in for the first time, this is your first episode. Success Mountain is what so many of us seem to find ourselves climbing in life, thinking if we just get to that point, everything's going to be better. And the reality is, is there is no there. So you're going to be climbing for the rest of your life. But just for an example for everybody listening, let's say there is a point that you get to in your life where you feel it, you're at top of your game. You're like, man, I feel invincible. We're going to learn today some of the things, life challenges that have thrown your way and how you've overcome them and how you're just, I look at you as an inspiration. I look at you from 
being married for 20 years, you know, three kids, all the stuff that you get to do with your podcast. We're going to talk about that. But what I want to do is just talk a little bit about, you know, you get shipped off, as you said, about to the rabbis to kind of fix you because something's different about you. What was different about you as a child? Because I want us to step up to Success Mountain today and paint a picture so people understand you from a different perspective. Yeah, those are good questions. Um, you know, I just, like I said, I was just this weird kid. So I, like when other kids were watching cartoons, I was watching documentaries, you know, as I got a little bit older. But as a kid, I, I had these visions that my mother couldn't understand. And, you know, they were uh, described by the rabbis as I had the ability to see, see beyond the veil, which is what's described in Kabbalah. And so I would have these great spiritual experiences as a long, as a young kid. I was also an artist and from a very young age. And my mom, it was my mom's pride that I was the artist. So people would, she'd say, oh, let's sit down, let Dove draw you. So they would sit down and, you know, they think they're going to get some crappy drawing. And I, but I would take my time. So I'd be doing it and then they'd get bored. And these are my mom's friends and my stepdad's friends. And we lived around a lot of very dark individuals. Uh, we were, I was born in a ghetto and there were some, some tricky individuals around there. And so I started drawing these people. And then he said, well, well, let me see it. And I'm like, it's not finished. And they said, well, let me see it anyway. And they get up and they look at it and they go, wow, it's really great. And I'd say, I'm not finished. And so they'd be excited. They'd sit down because they think it's going to be wonderful. And they'd like the half done version, but they would hate the finished version because the first version that they saw was the physicality of who they were. And I would go on to draw what I felt emotionally, quote, spiritually, from them. And very often that was pretty dark. And uh, I think I might have done a bit of damage to my mom's and my stepdad's friendships by showing these dark souls in the, in the light that I saw them. But that was just one experience of being a weird kid. What was like life for you as a, as a student? Were you a good student in school? Oh, I was awful. I was awful. Not because I was rebellious. And that's what most people think it was. It was just, I didn't get it. The system did not work for me. I would skip out of classes. Fortunately, I went to school in the 60s and 70s, and my art teacher was on a lot of acid a lot of the time. And so she didn't notice that I would leave the classroom, come back, and go and stand at the back of the line with the new class. And she'd look at me and go, weren't you just here? And I'd go, no. And she'd go, oh, okay, and come in. <laughs> so I would do three or four periods of art at a time. And there were certain things that fascinated me. So I, I studied religious philosophy at school, and I was very interested in that. I absolutely loved science. I absolutely loved. Those were things that really interested me. But I struggled. I was extremely dyslexic as a kid. So I really struggled with the system. I have gone on to be someone who I read more books than almost anybody I know. But that was not natural for me. But I always had this incredible hunger for learning and a deep, deep curiosity, but the system didn't feed that. The system wanted me to conform and I didn't want to conform. No, I, I get that. And I think I can, I can relate to that <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> I don't know anybody listening who can't relate to that because I think in reality, we go through these kind of like go to school, get good grades. And then when you're in school, I was always wanting to be out of class. I was bored with what they were teaching me. Now I look back on it and I said, you know, it was interesting. I just wasn't ready to learn what they were teaching me. I thought, I think our education system's still broken. And I have a mom who taught education for 30 years. I just think we're teaching everybody the wrong way. If you were to be the teacher today in an education system, what kind of classes would you be offering students to take? What would be your recommendations? That's a freaking great question. Dude, you're on it. That was a good one. Number one, relationships. Take a look at any part of your life. It does not exist without relationship. 
If you don't know how to do relationships, if you don't know how to be communicative, if you don't know how to have empathy and compassion and be able to really hear another person and communicate with them, you're dead in the water. I don't care how smart you are. So the number one lesson would be relationships. Second beyond that, and it's attached to it, which is boundaries, personal boundaries. If you don't know your personal boundaries, your relationships are shot, and then you don't have any sense of self-worth. So your self-worth goes in your relationships, but it also goes in the boundaries. And from there, you need to find your purpose, not your passion. And this is part of the big illusion. People talk about passion and purpose, and these things are different. People say, you know, we all read the books, you know, follow your passion and you'll make money, you know, all those kinds of things. Listen, please remember, your passion is transitory. My passion at 15, if I'd have followed that into a career, I'd be a gynecologist, me and about most of the straight guys I've ever met. (laughs) That is not going to be my career. I have no interest in that career, but that was certainly my passion at 15, 16 years old. But your purpose is the thread that carries through. So your passion is the vehicle your purpose drives on. But your purpose is always related to something that's deeper. And so I would look at that. That's the classes I would teach. Finding your purpose, building relationships, having great boundaries, learning how to communicate, and building your self-worth. From there, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that is something that our education system could use for sure, because I think there's so many people, you know, I I live in Colorado and, you know, I left California with my children and there was drugs and messed up education Mm -hmm. systems in play. And you come to Colorado and you still hear the same things that are happening today. I think our society is heavily medicated. I think we have so many devices around us now that have taken our minds away from really like discovering your passion discovering your purpose, working on the things that no one's talking about. You can't watch television and walk away elated and go, okay, I figured it out. I got it. Maybe you were inspired, but that usually that inspiration only lasts for a moment. You know, you look at your career, you just look at, you know, twice cited as one of Inc's magazine's top 100 leadership speakers to hire. You look at all the stuff that you've done from the Authentic Speaker Academy for Leadership TV shows, Roku, Fortune 500 listeners globally. You got your podcast. You've got all these things. But as you know, you climbed Success Mountain. How did you get your start in this career, this side of the work, which is, I think, is the good work, not the people who say it's woo-woo. I say, you should stop saying it's woo-woo and say, thank God somebody is speaking to my soul Mm -hmm. and helping to actually help remove the veil remove the masks, remove all of the things that we hold on to. How did you get into this work? How did you get into this career? Now, you wanted to be a gynecologist at 15. I got that. But then you go on to go do something that you're still doing today, which is changing and inspiring and showing people a way that transforms their lives. How did you get into that? As you know, I've been speaking for 34 years, but it was never... I mean, I certainly didn't enter it as a, oh, yeah, this is what I've got to do. My first speaking gig came, uh, I don't know if I've even told you this story, but the first speaking gig came, a friend of mine owned the National Menswear Organization in Australia, and he invited me to come speak to his managers. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? And he's like, I'm not a speaker. But him and I would have these deep philosophical conversations about all kinds of things you know, metaphysical, quantum physics, all these weird and wonderful things. And he said, I just would love you to come and speak to him. I'm like, about what? He goes, anything you want. And I'm like, but I'm not a speaker. And he goes, yeah, but I know, but I want you to speak to him. And I'm going, I don't know. He goes, I said, how long do you want me to speak for? He goes, 
an hour. I'm like, oh, no, whoa, I can't do that. Now, of course, an hour is a warm-up now, but it wasn't in those days. And I was freaking out. And he said, but I have one condition. And I was like, what's the condition? And he goes, you've got to show up looking like this. Now, this was 1984. And for some of us are old enough to remember 1984. And others have seen at least some good movies with 1984 in it. But I had the Louis Thirteenth hair down past my chest. It looked like uh, Howard Stern's used to look. I had earrings that you could hang parrots off, big loops, the designer's stubble. And I'd been a bodybuilder for five years. And when you're a bodybuilder, and you're young, it's important that everybody knows that because you wear clothes that reveal it. So I wore T-shirts that were definitely too small. So, And I've got this wild long hair, the big earrings, the tight, tight T-shirt. And he says, I want you, my condition is that you show up looking like this. I'm like, but you know I wear suits because that's how I met him. He would make my suits. And he says, I don't want you to wear a suit. I said, well, can I put my hair in a ponytail? No, I want you to show up looking exactly how you look today. Okay, so I get there as instructed, and as instructed by him, I put my head in the door and see all these managers sitting around all nice and tight in their suits and ties looking like a part, and I put my head in the door, and I can see them looking at me, and they're giving us uh, what we, I will give you the nice version of what we call it in the UK, they're giving me the bugger off nod, which is this cocking the head to the side, which is, get out of here, you're in the wrong place, and uh I just smiled and stayed where I was because that's what I was instructed to do. And then Steve said, please welcome our speaker. And I came up and he's, you know, clunk his jaws hit the desk in front of them. And I began to speak. Now I don't remember what I spoke about, but I remember my opening and my opening was how many, it was 1984 in Australia. Racism was a big issue with the Aboriginals. And I said, how many of you are here racist? Put your hand up. And of course, nobody puts their hand up. And I said, okay, how many of you, put your hand up if you would judge somebody by the way they look, color of their skin, or how they dress? Nobody put their hand up. And I just looked at them and said, you're a bunch of freaking liars. Every single one of you judge me by the way that I look. You decided how much money I had, how much intelligence I had, and whether I was viable for you to listen to or pay attention to or could even spend money with you. Here's what you don't know. I'm your customer. I know, Steve, because I came in and you make my suits. I don't always dress like this. And I thought at that point I'd shit the bed. It was all over. I thought I made a mistake. But I looked over at Steve and he looked like his face had been cut open because he had a big smile. He was obviously a lot smarter than me. And, you know, I said exactly what I needed to say for them to get that message. Now, if the story ended there, I, this would be a hero story and I would be the hero. It doesn't end there. If we pause it there, I'm the hero, but it's not the truth. Two weeks later... Steve comes in and says, oh, Alistair wants you to speak for his company. I'm like, cool. Now what do I do? I go away and I research speakers. And I start looking at the Zig Ziglar's of the world and Dennis Waitley's and all those guys back in those days. And I look at the pictures of them all. They all got short hair, mustaches, all clean shaven, blue suit, white shirt, red tie. That's the uniform. So that's what I do. And then, and of course, it dies a death. And it took me about I think it was close to five years for me to realize the mistake was I gave up my authenticity. And this is what it's about for every one of us. When you show up as you, and I mean unfiltered, and that's hard, I know, in a society that tells us who we're supposed to be, but that is your message. Your message is you. That's what you've got to get. And that includes, as you well know, Tony, better than most, it includes it's you and your history. Your mess becomes your message, as you would say. Oh, I love it. I think, you know, the realism is the. I'm thinking Miami Vice, 1984. I'm thinking 16 <laughs> Candles. I'm thinking like you yep. showing up, earrings with parrots hanging on them. I could get the visual, the long hair and you being you. And then in the moment, 
couple of weeks later, you get the opportunity to go speak somewhere else. And what do you do is you stop being you because you think you need to be like somebody else, but you were hired the first time because of you. Right. It's so, that's so fascinating that in our society, I think that's still true today. I think that's still true in so many situations. And I'll, I'm going to call it out. I'll call my mom out. You know, my mom always tells me, she's like, son, you know, I don't want you to wear your hat. Like, you know, all these videos and pictures of you. And I'm like, so how come? She's like, well, I just love you the way that you were. I'm like, oh, you don't like in my head, you know, mm-hmm. you don't love me because I have my hat on. Like, it's just like this way of me filtering stuff. Yeah. And I think that's the piece where I think the transparent me doesn't want to push and shove and fight and bicker and, and complain. Tell me about what that was an ego bomb to you when you bombed, when you, when you came that second week and it wasn't, it wasn't like the previous, what did that do to your ego? Cause I know that men, you know, we have an ego, we have pride, we have all these things attached to us. What was your ego like? Oh, well, my ego was huge. <laughs> so it felt severely slapped. I mean, remember, first of all, I'd gone into this thing that I had no desire to go into, no interest in going to, got all the accolades, and then suddenly I'm slapped upside the head because, you know, I, I've done the thing I talk about is I, what I did was I treated authenticity for approval, which is one of the horrible diseases of the day that I see. People trade their authenticity for approval. So that's what I did. And I couldn't, because of my ego, I couldn't work out what the problem was. I didn't even see that it was my authenticity that got me in. I thought it was my smarts. And that was the ego. My ego is always in play when I'm trying, when I'm more focused on looking smart, looking right, than I am committed to being of service. And that's how I know when my ego is running the show. Yeah. I mean, I've been coming to this whole mindset lately around ego. You know, some people say it's edging God out. I'm like, so it's edging good out of my life. When I'm in ego, I'm edging all those things that are good for me out of my life. I'm saying that all of those things are not freaking important and I'm the only one. Well, we all, I mean, so, you know, people will talk about their ego and, you know, as you know, I've been teaching on this stuff for 25 years. Listen, you've got an ego. I don't care who you are. If you're the Dalai Lama, you've got an ego. If you're, if you're Pope Frank, you've got an ego. It's part of the deal. You get skin, you get an ego. And it's not a bad thing. Your ego helps you to survive. It's supposed to be there. But it's supposed to be in the navigational seat, not in the driver's seat. And sometimes you have to lock it in the trunk for a while just to get it to shut up. But it's an important thing for you to have. It just can't run the show. All right. So we're talking about you, Dove, at the beginning of your kind of 34-plus career. Mm -hmm. I don't want to label you as anything other than, to me, you're a transformational specialist in my life. You help me to see things that I can't see. You show me a path for like, hey, let's do this instead of that, because here's all the things that I know in my career. Who are some of your, we talked a little bit in the beginning of mentors, but people that you saw when you first got started in the industry that you were kind of like, not mirroring, but you liked, like they were in your path. They were there all along your journey in your 34 years. Throw out some names. You mentioned Zig already. Yeah, when I started, it was the old school guys like Dennis Waitley and Zig Ziglar. And, you know, and I saw some of those guys speak and they, I liked them, but they certainly weren't me. And that was part of the challenges. I thought that I had to be like them, but I wasn't. And then I, uh, when I first came to North America in 1988, some friends said, you got to come see this guy, Tony Robbins. And I'm like, who the hell is that? Never heard of him. Hmm. I'd just come from Australia. And uh, so they took me to see him and I went and saw him and he was, he was wonderful. Again, not really my style of who I am or message, but I did love that he seemed to me to be, you know, he was a younger generation. He was much more, and I've met him now actually three separate occasions. 
and think he's a great guy, terrific guy. So nothing bad to say about him whatsoever. But as I, I waited to the end of the presentation and I made sure I was the last. He invited people to come meet him. I waited till I was, made sure I was last. And Tony said, how was the program for you? And I said, it was amazing. And he said, how do you feel? That's an NLP question. I'm a master of NLP, so I know what to ask him. He said, how do you feel? And I know that I floored him when I said, pissed off. Hmm. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm at least as good as you are. It was ego, but I said, at least as good as you are. And I'm standing here in a second-hand jacket, and you made $11 million last year. Now, of course, that would be a terrible year for him now, but uh, back then. And he asked me a very simple and powerful question. He said, who's on your team? And I said, I don't play soccer anymore. I didn't even understand the question. And he went on to explain that he didn't lay out the chairs or build the brochure or make the PowerPoint, that he had a team. And he said, you won't be successful till you have a team. And it took me years again to learn that. A slow learner. Nice guy, slow learner. Such great advice too. I know you and I have had these off-camera conversations talking about the importance of teams. So what are some things you think about today around teams as we climb Success Mountain today? What are some things that you have begun to see for yourself in having teams, helping companies to structure and build teams? Those are some of the topics that I know you can come in and just absolutely lay down. So what are some of your thoughts today around team building? You know, as you know, I do a lot of work with companies and, and that work with companies. We look at the purpose of the leader and the purpose of the leaders and then the purpose of the organization. And really what it is about is building a bond. If you mm-hmm. don't know how to bond people together, you don't have a team. You have a bunch of individuals who may have specialty and that's great, but the bond is what pulls them together. It's that bond. And so when you're going to build a team, you've got to find a common bond. You've got to find something that everybody will get around that they go, yeah, I want that. I believe in that. That's the important thing in my life. And, you know, from what I speak about, what I wrote about in my last book is millennials particularly, so those who are 37 and under today or 38 and under today, they want to be connected to something bigger than themselves. So that's the bond. You've got to find out what that is so they can be part of it. And if you don't know how to do that, you don't have a team. You have a bunch of people who work for you who have a specialty, and that's great, and we all need that. But if you want them to actually become fiercely loyal and go out and fight on the battleground for you and you, you know, for the cause, you've got to have that bonding purpose. So when did the book come for you, the latest one, the Fiercely Loyal book? When did that come out of you? What was that birth from? What was that? You know, you sat down at your desk one day and you said, it's time for another book. Let's put some pen to paper. Like, where did that come from? Was that born from that mindset, from doing what you've been doing? Or did something Uh, happen? No, there was nothing. I mean, nothing specifically that happened to me. I mean, I'd been doing a lot of this work around leading millennials. But what the shift was, was I read this Gallup thing around the lack of engagement and that something like 70% of employees were not engaged. And I, because of psychology, my background being in psychology, was like, well, okay, let's have a look at that. And I looked at that and one of the things I discovered was, you know what? It's not that your employees are not engaged, it's the leaders who are not engaged. And so employees are not engaged because leaders are not engaged. And when you think about leadership, think of it as parenting. When I was a kid, my stepdad and my mom were chain smokers. Every, every member of my family is a chain smoker, except for I've never smoked. And my stepfather would have the cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he'd have his eyes squinted as the smoke lit, sort of circulated up to his eye, and he'd shout at us kids to never smoke. Well, you know, like I said, my siblings went on to become chain smokers. And the, the thing of it is, is that a leader is like a parent. Those you lead, you are modeling for. They don't give a shit what you say. They care what you demonstrate. 
And so if you're going to, if you're demonstrating that you're disengaged and you're not actually connected and you don't care about people and you're telling them you've got to care about our customers, but you don't care about your customer as a leader and your customer as a leader is your team, is your people, then you're demonstrating this is all words but no meaning. Mm. And that's where the book came from. It's like, okay, how can I show these guys how to really lead in a way that bonds people to them so they can keep them loyal? Because when I entered the workforce, we weren't looking for a 20 or 40-year career. And millennials are looking at a four-year career, 10 times less when they're staying in a job an average of 1.2 years. Ugh, you know, that's not even long enough to train them. There's no ROI on that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, getting to the point where I'm going to either push them down a mountain, but, <laughs> but, I know for a fact, but I know for a fact that this guy has survived multiple falls off of some amazing places in life pure adrenaline junkie at times. We're going to talk about this, but what I want to do is I want to take a quick break and I want to help people to understand something. The person that you are listening today is somebody who I admire immensely, somebody who I've seen old footage and videos and how you are listening to him today is the same way that I've seen this person evolve over time. 34 plus years in helping companies, individuals get to the next level in life from Miami Vice hairstyles to being in a marriage for over 20 years, somebody who is dedicated to helping people get to the next level. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the adrenaline junkie challenges you've faced, some of the things that you've had to overcome. We're going to talk about being at the top of your game and almost feeling like maybe you want to give up. Maybe you want to come back down the mountain and do something different. We're going to talk about all of that and so much more. Hang on tight. We'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled Show. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to ShipOffers, clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at ShipOffers.com. We are back on the Be Fulfilled Show, the one and only Dov Barron, Full Money Leadership, incredible soul, incredible human being, great father, great husband, somebody who I just get to see interact with the world and how he shows up and his podcast is phenomenal. One of these speakers that it gets asked all the time to come on stages, to write articles for big publications, the author of Fiercely Loyal, one of my really, really good friends. So welcome. And then we're back now. Hopefully the break didn't kill you, but I know that some things almost have killed you. Indeed. Let's talk about this adrenaline uh, rush or this, this guy who loves kind of pushing things a little bit over the edge. Yeah, I'm not an adrenaline junkie anymore, but I certainly was. I was a full-blown mainline adrenaline junkie, did all kinds of crazy shit all the time to, to push the, the envelope, you know, and did it on a regular basis. It was part of who I was. It was part of my egoic identity, too. So what was one of the most scariest kind of times you've ever faced as an adrenaline junkie? Former, we'll call you a former adrenaline junkie. Yes. Um, So, I mean, there were all kinds of different ones, but there was one that was, if you will, the ultimate, which is, as you know, Tony, in 1990, I fell off a mountain while free climbing. For people who know about mountain climbing, you know, you know that mountain climbing is pretty safe if you're trained and you've got your wires and you've got your, not your wires, but you've got your ropes and your safety lines and all those kinds of things. Free climbing is not so safe because you don't have those things. Free climbing while soaking wet in the wrong footwear is for the mentally 
challenged and I was definitely looking for a helmet for that occasion and didn't have one. And at about 12 stories, about 120 feet, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down onto the boulders below and smashed me open like a nut. Uh, smushed my jaw into five separate pieces, collapsed my nose, shattered my cheekbones, collapsed one of my eye sockets, um, just destroyed me in every possible way. That was my fourth fall. That was my biggest one at 120 feet, but it was the fourth because I was, again, nice guy, slow learner. <laughs> and uh, So the thing about that is I can tell everybody, you know, the, the gruesome physical pain, the reconstructive surgeries, which were enormous. I think there's more than 10 of them over time. Um, but that was nowhere near the most painful thing. The most painful thing was the realization that I had fallen 120 feet from a self-imposed pedestal and landed on my ego. And that's what got really smashed open. And feeling so completely depressed and destroyed and suicidal and wanting to walk away from absolutely everything I could possibly imagine. What was the thoughts going through your mind as you were just laying there messed up, your face just crushed, your, like you said, you landed on your ego. What was the first like few hours like for you? Were you like life or death? Was it like, we don't know if he's going to survive? What was life like for you in the, that moment in the mind? Uh, when I fell, when I came around, I was disoriented and felt like I'd fallen into water because I could hear all this liquid. And it wasn't until I tasted rusty iron in my mouth that I realized it was all blood. There was no water. It was just, I was smashed to pieces. And somehow I was climbing with a friend and somehow I was able to communicate with him that I needed to be moved. You don't move people who've fallen, but I did. I moved. He picked me up, physically picked me up, moved me three feet. And then the rock face where I had been laid collapsed and buried that area. So if he hadn't moved me, I'd have been dead for sure. Coming back was, uh, I died at least four times in the journey back to the hospitals and in the hospital um, and came back. Uh, nobody thought I would survive. Nobody, and the doctors told me I would never walk again. They certainly told me I'd never be at a squat again. I was a bodybuilder. Um, that was over. And it, even when they put me together, the roof of my mouth was crossed over. So I couldn't speak properly. They did a really bad job of me initially. So you definitely got to a place 10 surgeries later. You look good, but I'm just going to tell you, you got to give a lot of thought and thanks to those plastic surgeons and everybody helped to do reconstruction. Fabulous. They, you know, no, you're a good looking guy. And I, um, I love that about you. I love that you're willing to go deep and dark and to share the stuff that's tough because you know that's the stuff that helps people to grow. What's one thing, your NLP training, what's the one thing that you use to help people kind of break the ice, to get open, to help kind of just say, you know what, like we can have that conversation, but you know, so many people walk into a room or into a phone call or an interview and I think their DNA and everything's like holding them down. What's the one question you use to kind of break the ice? One question. Often I'll ask a question like, who are you without? So who are you without your title? Who are you without your money? Who are you without your marriage? Who are you without your Maserati? Who are you without your boss suit? Who are you without the title of founder? Who are you without? And that question is something that most people have never even asked themselves. But I don't normally start there. Where I would start is always in the thing that I think is the most powerful thing of all, and that is vulnerability. I reveal myself. 
because the fact is that human beings bond in reciprocal vulnerability. If you think about the person you've known for a period of time, who you're super close with, who is a fierce, loyal friend, and think of somebody you've known for an equal amount of time who's only an acquaintance, the only difference is reciprocal vulnerability. So I start with vulnerability. That's spot on. That's spot on. No, I love it. And you know what? We're going to walk down a little bit down the mountain and and some questions are going to come, just random thoughts. We're going to do the fulfillment round. We're going to talk about matrix. We're going to talk about how people can get connected to you. I hope if you're listening right now, you feel connected to my friend. I, I hope that you feel some vulnerability, some, you know, removing of the veil, some of the, you know what, me too's, like I've gone through some of that stuff as a child. I felt like, you know, I, I didn't fit in. I, parents didn't know what to do with me. They, they sent me off. They, they disciplined me in certain ways. I hope you feel some of that because that's what I do feel when I'm sitting talking to my friend is knowing that we have this immense amount of vulnerability. Like I just, I tell them I'm having a good day or a bad day. And, you know, you recently, lost your sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're not talking about, you know, so many people on podcasts that just talk about just the same old, same old. And that's why I, my whole deal is about the real stories behind success is the person, right? If I get to know the person, I really get to know the insides, the ins and outs. I, I get to understand why you get out of bed in the morning. Why do you want to go and be with your wife after 20 years? Like, why do you want to go hang out and be a father? Like, why do you want to just give up and go throw it all in? Let me see what you're going to throw my way. All right. So what I got for you is the fulfillment round. And I have a bunch of questions. So here's the answers that I want you to know. They don't mean shit. (laughs) They're all for fun. And if you don't know, I want you to make up the answer. Oh, okay. You're the first one I'm giving permission to, just to make up whatever you think, all right? (laughs) No, we're talking fun. (laughs) All right. So uh, the fulfillment round, you ready? Yep. All right. Name the seventh planet from the sun. Seventh floor of the sun is Archimedes. Uranus. <laughs> All right. We're going back to 1984 or maybe 2014, and you have to make a wardrobe decision. Hair is a little less than it was in the 80s. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I've got a box full of studs and hoops. Are you picking up hoops today or some studded earrings as you get ready to rock out with your lovely wife tonight? So I'm dressing like it was 1984. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell, 1984. Oh, then it's definitely the big loop earrings, man. All right, I love it. You had a choice today outside your door where you're living right now. There was a person and they had new car keys. Car keys to a big meaty Jeep or a sexy Ferrari. What would you choose? Those are my only choices. Those are your only two. Or you could just choose to walk. I mean, there's always that. Yeah, I'm not that keen on either of them. But I guess between the two, I would choose... I'd probably choose the Jeep. All right. Who played Neo in the movie The Matrix? Um, <laughs> Keanu Reeves. All right. Who would play you in a movie? Uh, Will Smith. <laughs> because we look so alike. I love it. I love it. All right. I no, I'm, more I for think it would be Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, for sure. Okay, cool. Favorite moment you and I have ever experienced together? Uh, you and I... Wandering around in Vegas, just having a cup of coffee. I just really enjoyed when you know, we, we were in some place and we just went and had a cup of coffee together. That was just a beautiful moment. I love it. All right. In which film did Humphrey Bogart say, well, always have Paris. We'll always have Paris. All right. I love Casablanca. it. See, you're, you, you must have watched some romantic movies at night. You must have spent some time, you know, watching Humphrey Bogart growing up. 
Humphrey Gokart. Yes, I did watch Humphrey Gokart. Um, but I was, but I'm a movie freak. I love movies. Yeah. I love it. All right. One more question and then we'll get into one last little thing before we drop the show. Okay. Think gardening for a moment. I know that you're a big gardener. I love gardening. <laughs> Which bulbs were once exchanged as a form of currency? Tulips. All right. Do you know when? Uh, the actual years? No. Um, but I know it was part of the Dutch economy and they were traded for higher value than gold at one point in time. What's your thought on Bitcoin? I wish I'd have bought a shitload of it about two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love how I could just transition from a form of currency where a lot of people say like Bitcoin's kind of like the tulip industry. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for just being who you are and showing up the way you do in my life and just being vulnerable. Success Mountain isn't always sexy and fun. It has some fun things along the way. Hopefully you got some uh, insight into just the questions that I asked today, maybe make you think a little differently than you normally do on a daily basis. Hopefully I I got you to kind of say, you know what? I haven't been asked that question before. I hope that you walk away with this knowing a new understanding of what success is. So I asked the same question as I do in the beginning. What is your definition of success? Like I said, uh, you know, money has to be a component, but For me, it's that moment when somebody sees their own greatness, when they have and when they are willing to have, when I can see that what I've done has allowed them to see something in themselves they've never seen before. And that invariably comes from a moment of self-compassion. I hear people talk about things in their past and they they go, (laughs) you know, it's this uncomfortable laugh that I can so see through. And I call them on that and there's that stop And then they want to make an excuse. And I go, don't make an excuse. Just feel it. And you can feel them well up. And I go, that's where your power is. It's behind that. But you can't get to it without that. That for me is so satisfying to touch somebody's soul. That is what success is. Everything else doesn't matter. I love that. All right. So what we're going to do, if you were moved today to want to connect with Dov. If you want to download some of his podcasts, we're going to show you all the show notes, how you can get connected. But what I love to do is ask guests to share something, give something, bring something to the table today that's above just them. And I know that you want to leave something with the audience today. So I'd love to make sure that they have a way to get connected with you and then just feel like if it's whatever it is that you want to give, this is your time. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Well, I'm going to give One thing which is that you can go to uh, the Matrix self-assessment tool that we offer. That is, you'll find it at matrixlikethemovie.fullmontyleadership.com. And there you get to go through 100 questions into the five categories of leadership and and just to self-assess and find out where your leadership really is, whether you're a leader in a Fortune 500 company or whether you're a leader inside of a small entrepreneurial organization, you can take a look at what your leadership is really, truly like, because that's what really counts. And that's, you can go there and you can have that for free. The other thing I want to do is this, I'm going to challenge you. That's what I want to give you. I want to give you a challenge. And my challenge is simple. Uh, Write to me, write to Tony and tell us what you got out of this. Don't just have it on us passively in the background. My email, my private email address is dov, D-O-V, at D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Dov at dovbaron.com. Tell me what you got out of this. Tell me what added value to you. Because listen, information is what the hole in the donut is. Transformation takes place through application. So I want to know what you got out of it and what you're going to do with it. That will help me to feel successful. And that will allow you to add value to my life. Thank you. Bam. That's the way we end the show. What did you get? And what kind of impact did you feel today? And I'll tell you the impact that I'm left with is somebody who's always challenging me to stretch. 
to stretch just a little bit more. And so I just want to say thank you, my friend, for coming on the show. I love you to pieces. I know that you've gone through this season knowing that you've got a lot of close people there for you. And I just want you to know that I'm here every single day. I show up for you any way I can. And I just want you to know that that's what I love about you because you've reciprocated that so many times. And we've only known each other for a few years. And that's getting deep with people and breaking through the bullshit and getting to the core of who we are at humans. You have a heart, I have a heart, and I can feel yours. And I love that. And I love that deeply. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. Forever.